Hello, everybody. It's 4.33 and we're recording. We'll begin. Pursuant to Governor Baker's mark. Chapter 30A, Section 18, and the Governor's March 15, 2020 order imposing strict limitations on the number of people that may gather in one place. This meeting in the Medford School Committee will be conducted via remote participation to the greatest extent possible. Specific information, the general guidelines for remote participation by members of the public and or parties with a right and a requirement to attend this meeting can be found on the City of Medford website at www.medfordma.org. For this meeting, members of the public who wish to listen or watch the meeting may do so by accessing the meeting link contained herein. No in-person attendance of members of the public will be permitted, but every effort will be made to ensure that the public can adequately access the proceedings in real time via technological means. In the event that we are unable to do so, despite best efforts, we will post on the City of Medford or Medford Community Media websites an audio or video recording, transcript, or other comprehensive record of proceedings as soon as possible after the meeting. Since the meeting will be held remotely, participants can log on or call in by using the following link or call-in number. 1929-205-6099. Enter this meeting ID when prompted, 940-6050-2221. Additionally, comments, questions, or additionally, questions or comments can be submitted during the meeting by emailing Medford SC at medford.k12.ma.us. Those submitting must include the following information, your first and last name, your Medford Street address, and your question or comment. If we could have a roll call, Member Vandekloot. Certainly. Um, Jenny Graham. Here. Kathy Kretz. Here. Melanie McLaughlin. Here. Mia Mastone. Here. Paul Rousseau. Here. Paulette Vanderkloot present. Uh, Mayor Brianna Lungo Kern. Present, seven present, zero absent. If we all may rise to salute the flag. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, liberty, and justice for all. I believe there's gonna be a motion to suspend the rules to take, um, go into executive session to discuss collective bargaining matters, union contracts, and non-union contracts. That motion is by? Motion, motion. to Member Kretz, seconded by Paulette, oh. Member Vandeklut and Member Graham. Roll call. Uh, Member Graham? Yes. Kretz? Yes. McLaughlin? Yes. Ms. Stone? Yes. Rousseau? Yes. Vandeklut, yes. Mayor Brianna Lungo-Kern? Yes, seven in the affirmative, zero in the negative. We are going to move into executive session. Thank you for your patience. Anybody else waiting? Thank you everybody for your patience. We are recording, it's 6.13. Um, we are gonna go through our agenda. Number two is approval of minutes of August 17th, 2020. If, if somebody wants to make a motion for approval or a motion to table, if you didn't have time. Motion to table. Motion to Second. table. By member Rousseau, seconded by member Graham. Roll call. Uh, member Graham? Yes. Kretz? Yes. McLaughlin? 
Yes. Miss Stone? Yes. Me, uh, Vanderclute? Yes. Oh, sorry. Uh, Rousseau? Yes. Uh, Lungo Kern? Yes, seven in the affirmative, zero in the negative. The minutes are tabled from August 17th, 2020. Number three, approval of bills, transfer of funds, and approval of payrolls. Member Vandekloot. Uh, motion of approval. Uh, move, move, motion for approval by Member Vandekloot, seconded by? Mayor. I just, I just had a couple quick questions. Sure. Um, I'm looking at the um, posted vouchers report. Is that the right one? I believe it is. Um, there's a, a charge for um, Guardian Energy Management Solutions for 39,000 and change. Um, and I was just curious what that one was for. Mr. Murphy, do you happen to? I don't have that exact charge of in front of me right now, but I can try to get you that information before the end of the meeting. Okay, that would be great. Um, and then there's one on um, the next page for Arctic Engineering for $4,300. Is that for testing that is ongoing? No, I believe that is the routine maintenance of air handlers, but I can confirm that as well. Okay. And then there's two charges for Accelerate Learning um, 27,000 and change each. Um, I don't know if anyone knows what that one, those are for. I would have to defer to folks on the instructional side for that. But again, we can get that information uh, before the end of the meeting. Okay. Yeah. If you could just shoot us an email and let us know, that would be great. Absolutely. I can tell you the Ar Arctic engineering is definitely not the testing. Okay. So is there a motion to table or a motion for approval? Okay. Motion to approve. Member Russo. Thank you. Um, I, which page is it on? Uh, also on page two, uh, Viking Ice Painting, other than being pretty much the coolest name for a business, what is that? It's $5,000. What was the amount? $5,000. Okay. I, uh, I, I apologize. This was, um, I'm going to have to confer with Mr. Parquet, who I um, think may not, have may not have joined us subsequent to the executive session. So, um, my answer is going to be very similar until I'm able to. Oh, maybe he's maybe he's here. Mr. Parkett, are you here? Let me unmute him if I can find him. He is here. We'll have the information to you uh, in short order. Motion for approval, I believe, is on the table. Seconded by second by Member Kratz. Roll call. Um, Member Graham. Yes. Kratz. Yes. McLaughlin. Yes. Mastone. Yes. Rousseau. Yes. Vanderclute. Yes. Lungo Kern. Yes. Seven. The affirmative. Zero. In the negative. Mayor, may I just very quickly the three charges that were. Uh, that there were inquiries about are 4300 for arctic engineering 5000 for the um viking viking and then can i just have the other two again accelerated sure. 27000 and um member graham 39000 for um sorry 39000 was for guardian energy management solutions okay yep all right we'll get back to you 
Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Mr. Murphy. A number four, report of secretary. Uh, so there was no warrant this week, so I did not go in today to sign the bills. Uh, I will resume doing so next Wednesday. Also, just want to mention that as the head of the curriculum subcommittee, I've been asked to um, have a subcommittee meeting on the uh, disability awareness uh, curriculum. Uh, we'll be setting that up um, after we start the beginning of uh, the first first phase of school. Um, so uh, I'll be in contact with uh, my curriculum uh, subcommittee members uh, and other people who need to be there. Great, thank you, Member Van de Kloot. Number five, report of committees. First for, uh, for approval is the special meeting, committee of the whole meeting, which was August 31st, 2020. Motion for approval by Member Kretz. Did we get minutes for that one? Yeah. Oh, motion to table. Motion to table by Member Graham. Second. Seconded by Member Rousseau. Roll call. Graham? Yes. Uh, Kretsch? Yes. McLaughlin? Yes. Mastone? Yes. Rousseau? Yes. Andrew Clute? Yes. Longo Kern? Yes. Seven in the affirmative, zero in the negative. Um, papers tabled. Number six, we have community participation. Miss Susan Sheehan. Just gonna find you, Miss Sheehan, hold on. If there's a motion to table until Ms. Sheehan um, is in attendance, we can take it up at the end of the meeting. Oh, she's there. Oh, I, okay, I didn't see her. Hi, can you all hear me? Yes. Can you hear me? Okay, good, thank you. Um, I wanna thank uh, the members of the committee and the administration um, to the extent you're all on for allowing me to speak tonight. Um, before I get started, I also want to um, recognize the service of everybody involved. I know this has been an incredibly challenging time for everybody and something you all probably didn't sign up for, for, you know, at the time you all took these jobs on. So I don't want to come across as ungrateful or unaware of all the time that you have spent putting into what has been going on over the past couple of months. Um, if it's anything close to, um, the amount of time I've spent, I'm sure it's more. So thanks again. Um, to start, I think we can all agree that the needs of the students and families who are unable for whatever reason or who do not want to attend school in um, person this year have been met by the remote learning academy that has been established. And I think that's a great thing. And I'm grateful that the city has agreed to put that in place for those students who need it. Um, I am here speaking as one of the 63% of Medford families who have elected a hybrid approach to learning. And I am among those who, if given the choice, would elect to have their children return to school full-time for in-person learning. Um, I understand that that's not an option at this point, but I would encourage this group. There are many people um, in the city who would definitely do that if that was an option. And I just have some concerns that that has been dropped 
from our, our options so quickly. Um, based on what has happened over the past couple of months, first with the hybrid plan being switched um, without notice to a phased hybrid plan, and then the hybrid plan being scrapped last minute for a fully remote plan, and then recently as this week, the delays that took place around class placement and class schedules being released, I and I think many others in the community are starting have to have concerns that the school committee um, and the administration are really prioritizing the demands of the teachers and the teachers union over the needs of the students um, of Medford and the families of Medford um, and this is becoming very concerning to a large group of us. Um, I think it's really important to, for this group to remember who you're here representing, and, and it's really us, um, the constituents. And I think my first request to this group is that you really try to realign your priorities with those of us who elected you, we're, 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 you're paid to serve us and the citizens and the students of Medford. And just try and remember that the focus of our education system really needs to be the best interests of the students and their growth and development and not what is in the best interest of the teachers. I know you're trying to balance that, but I think the scales are very skewed at this point and, and many of us are observing that. Um, my next request of the group is that the public be given some sort of summary that outlines the specific demands that have been raised by each of the negotiating units within the teachers union. We'd like to know what the city has offered in response and what the response of the union has been to what we have given them. Um, at this point, I don't think it's acceptable that the details of these negotiations are held so closely confidential when the impact of them affects the lives and livelihoods of so many people within the city of Medford. The fact that we have no insight into what is going on that is creating these delays at this point is really unacceptable. I believe we have a right to know as a, as a community at this point. Um, and I would also request um, during this meeting that a motion be brought to post the Medford teacher's contract on the school website. This is something I was not able to find and, and I had to go through certain channels to get and I think that this is a public document. We all need to have access to it at this point. Um, next, I have concerns that the recent delay in issuing schedules and teachers' assignments has been attributed to, um, from Ms. Galusi's email, the initial volume of requests by staff to work remotely, which has apparently impacted the determination of staff structure at each school. And I guess I, and I'm sure others, would like to know at this point why we, why we are allowing teachers who are essential employees to work from home at this juncture. Regardless of whether we are engaged in fully remote, hybrid, or in-person learning, I believe that our teachers need to be present in the classroom and 100% focused on the students that they have been hired to teach. Data indicates that there is a minimal risk of exposure to COVID in Medford if recommended precautions are taken. And I, I imagine the risk to teachers is nominal if they are in empty or or limited class sizes when they are teaching. I feel strongly that we really need to get 
the teachers accustomed to being back in their buildings. So they are prepared to be on site when we reopen in a hybrid state, which at this point really needs to be the focus of this group. We need to focus on when are we getting back to some sort of hybrid or in-person learning so things can have more normalcy for our children. Um, I suspect there are concerns around pushing the teachers so, too hard, but we know they have a no strike clause. I do not believe they have standing to dictate to us where they are going to teach from. And I think it's important that we take a step and take a stronger stand in trying to move things forward in a positive direction in that regard. Um, next, on page seven of the remote learning guide that was published on August 28th, it indicates that you plan to begin hybrid instruction as soon as feasible. I want to be clear, unless it hasn't been clear yet, hybrid instruction is feasible now, and that is where we need to be at this point. This has, had been, has been demonstrated by other countries, other states, other districts, and many of our private schools that are now opening up with full-time learning in person. I think, you know, my concern is, while these other bodies forge ahead with learning that is clearly designed to, to meet the best interests of our kids, Medford is now going to fall further and further behind in our academics and in what we are able to give to our children by way of education. And I think that that should be very concerning to this group. And, and I'm just not seeing that at all in, in what's going on here. Um, I really think that this body of administrators and school committee members needs to take a stronger stand on this topic and in responding to the remaining union demands, whatever those are, and really, again, refocus on the needs of our kids and what you're doing. I would also like to request that someone on the committee move to establish October 19th as the date on which we will all return to hybrid learning at this point. The unexpected and really inexplicable transition without a lot of discussion and in the face of, of survey results that indicate 63% of our families want to go back to hybrid learning is, is unacceptable. And I think any further delays beyond October are just, it's, it's unnecessary unless there's some really dramatic shift in the, the COVID data that we're seeing at this point. Um, finally, I just have a word on accountability, which was addressed in two different sections in the remote learning guide. And I think it's really ultimately the practicing teachers who are gonna be held accountable for both the actions that their union is taking, whether or not they're all in alignment with those. I think it's important that they understand that as teachers represented by this group, they're going to be accountable for the results of, of what is going on with the union. And I ask them, if you're not in agreement, I think it's time to, you know, voice your opinions to whomever is leading the charge for the union. Um, I think that the actions that are being taken by this body at this time and by the union are going to have a negative and lasting impact on the children of Medford. And I think that the fact that we're still negotiating on anything, but certainly around accountability language and other items is just, is just distressing. Um, you know, the contract for the teachers does provide for clear standards of evaluation. I do not think that these should be abandoned at all and should even be heightened during these challenging times and under the circumstances where we're asking them to do 
different things. So I really call upon the administration to establish standards for evaluation of teachers during the time that we are now entering that will help guarantee that we do not see a repeat of what we saw in the spring in terms of lackluster teaching, lack of learning, and those type of things. Um, I think that these accountability standards are going to be critical. And I ask you again to really focus on the needs of the kids and what, um, what needs to get done really to get them the education that they're looking for. And I also ask any other parents on this call to please, you know, keep an eye on this yourself. Let the administration know if things are falling below expectations so that this group and the administration can address those situations immediately as they're occurring and, and make adjustments to whatever is going on within the schools. If we're not seeing what we're hoping for as parents, it's, you know, we're the only ones who can raise these issues um, before these accountability standards are put in place. Um, you know, I know that we've been asked to forgive um, by one of our principals in connection with the start of the school year and understand that things are not going to go as quickly as planned. But what I do think is not forgivable is the way in which this has been handled to date. The fact that we are now less than a week away from the start of school and we don't have schedules for our kids, we don't have teacher assignments, we don't have any of those things that we need to get them off to a, to a good start and to really prepare them for next week um, is definitely something that is concerning and, and I just can't forgive that as someone who elected many of you and who's you know sort of working really hard to try and find support here but that's a bit tricky at this point. Um, and I just really again in closing um, encourage you to adopt more of a kids first mentality than we have seen before um, and, and a little bit of a shift toward the focus on how do we get them back to school as soon as we possibly can. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Ms. Sheehan. Um, you did put your name on under community participation, so we let you speak. Um, if anybody else wants to speak, we're gonna give you up to two minutes so that we can keep order and we have a long agenda, over almost 150 people on. So next is um, Mr. Began, Sean Began. Thank you. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, thank you. Um, I just want to uh, thank Susan for speaking today and putting her name out there. Uh, I know that's not uh, an easy thing to do. And I do share many of her concerns, all of her concerns, to be frank. Uh, currently, the decision of the school committee and the administration is to begin in an all remote learning environment. We do this knowing full well that a majority of the children in this community will not thrive in that environment. And I don't think that is a fact that can be disputed. I was fortunate enough to be a member of the superintendent's steering committee. I truly appreciated the invitation to participate and tried to be an advocate for the children, including getting children back to school to the maximum amount possible. What has happened in the last month since that committee was disbanded leaves me in a quandary. Somehow we have gone from hybrid to phased in hybrid to full remote learning over the course of the past month. 
However, based on the COVID numbers posted on the city website as of today, we are doing very well. 14 cases from September 1st to the 7th, uh, an average of two per day. We are now at a position where October 16th has been identified as the first possible date to review a return of any type of in-person learning. As I understand it, this is not a return to school date, only a date to possibly discuss a return to school. Meanwhile, we hear that negotiations with the teachers union continue. The fact that we do not have school schedules yet for our kids tells me that those negotiations are not going well. What I do not know and what parents need to know is what specifically needs to happen for the kids to return to school. For the past month, I have heard much discussion about the HVAC systems and air quality in the schools, particularly the high school. A topic that in my opinion is a distraction from what the true metric by which in-person learning should be measured, which is the number of positive COVID cases in the community. HVAC and air quality has been become an issue that the state and local teachers unions have seized upon as a reason not to enter school buildings. Again, I believe this is an effort to take the administration's and the school committee's focus off of declining COVID numbers. By way of, an, by way of example, in Sharon, Massachusetts, a town with zero COVID cases for the last 14 days, the teachers still refuse to enter the buildings. The school committee has voted to declare the teachers union, teachers actions a strike in that town. They are citing, the teachers are citing air quality as their reason not to enter the buildings. Thankfully, the feared wave of cases in August, which opened the door for the full remote start, never arrived in Medford. As parents, we need to know at what point the school committee will vote to return the children to the schools. We need the specific metrics upon which they will base the decision. We need to know them now. There is no reason those metrics should not have already been established. This wait and see attitude is a sure recipe for an entire year of remote learning, which does not equate to an entire year of education, but which will result in many students falling behind or being permanently lost. I know that the administration and the teachers agree with that statement. As a parent, I am imploring the administration and the school committee to be as honest and frank with the parents as possible about the conditions under which schools will reopen. I do not want to hear when it is safe. Safe is subjective and can be argued ad infinitum. There has been enough arguing. Now we need answers. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Vegan. Mr. Giglio. Hi. Um, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, so my question is, uh, for all, first of all, that last guy was dead on with everything he said. Uh, but my question is, um, with the global pandemic and we don't know when our kids are going to be going back and there's really no um, set date, is it responsible for a school committee member such as Melanie McLaughlin to be promoting a rally that's going to be involving children this Saturday? Um, when again, there's no, you know, uh, you know, kids are going to be around each other. And 
again, I, I definitely understand that it's uh, uh, the First Amendment right. They have every right to rally. It's, I'm not talking about the rally itself, but I am asking, is it responsible for school committee members to be promoting such an event when we're trying uh, to get our kids back into school? I, we're going to... If you have a question about going back to school, I can answer that's, that. I know that, Mr. Began. Yeah, that, that was that was my question. I mean, that's that that could hinder going back to school. If what if if, if there's COVID cases out there, well, um, you know, it could hinder going back to school even longer. Mayor, I'm prepared to answer that question. Go ahead, Member McLaughlin. Through the mayor, through the chair of the school committee, I'm prepared to answer that question. Uh, that event held being held on Saturday is outside for a short amount of time with a number of individuals where there will be masks and uh, hand sanitizer. Back to school is a full six to eight hour day where children will be in direct uh, contact with each other. I also am not, I'm not sure where the individual is getting the information that I'm promoting one uh, 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 objective over another in terms of going back to school. I think we're all working very hard to figure out how we're getting our children back into school. I also have children in our public schools and I want them into our schools very much, so I'm not sure, but I'm also not sure how my uh, promoting uh, an event uh, that a 12 year old who went to school with my daughter, who I admire very much, asked me to be involved with and to help her with, has anything to do with our returning to school or um, publicly, you know, uh, calling me out on the platform here um, when it is about an outdoor event not involved with our Medford Public Schools, not involved with our City Hall, involving a sixth grader um, who is a childhood friend of my daughter. Thank you, Member McLaughlin. Mr. Christopher Carboni? Yes. Um, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. So my name is Christopher Carboni. Uh, my daughter, Sarah, attends the... Uh, formerly the Columbus School, and my daughter Rachel is going to be entering high school. Uh, I live at 63 Bowen Avenue, and I have a tremendous amount of concerns about the way the school committee has handled these last six months. Uh, when it appeared as if they could have been working on a plan, they put a panel together to work on a plan and then decided not to follow that plan. Uh, we as a community were told, we were implored to fill out a survey. It came back unequivocal. Two-thirds of parents wanted their children to go back to school at least part-time, because that was the only option that was available. Um, and the school committee, on its own, without discussion of what metrics it was using, decided to look at an arbitrary map with an arbitrary color, with an, representing an arbitrary number, and make a very concrete decision as to whether or not our children will be allowed to go back to school. Was this cover for another set of decisions? I don't know. What I do know is our children aren't going back to school in direct conflict of what parents were asked about. Therefore, I cannot tell you how happy I am that Ms. Sheehan and Mr. Began spoke before me because they laid out specifically what parents are asking for right now. What are the metrics that this school committee wants to adhere to before putting our children back into school? What are they? What, what must we do to meet them? What must the, the community be involved in? What must the number look like? What is the plan to get our children back to school? What are you doing to make sure this happens? The American, Associ the, uh, American, the American Association of American Pediatricians and the CDC have both made it abundantly clear 
that our children are actively being harmed by not going back to school. It's not because it's not great. It's not because it's not optimal. They are being harmed by this. And I say this because several people before have made the statement, well, when it's safe, or Mr. Began said he doesn't want to hear that. Mr. Began's being far too kind to you. You are actively hurting our children by keeping them out of school. And you do it at your peril. Finally, what is the date? Are the children going back to school in October? If not, why? These questions need to be answered. And this school committee has to answer them. Because every time we leave it up to you, you make a decision on your own without informing us. After you asked us specifically what it is you wanted from us. We told you what it was. You decided not to listen. And when school committee members do that, they do it at their peril. Because if you won't do this job, someone will find a way to do it for you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Carbone. Thank you. Um, I don't know, Ms. Madam Superintendent, I don't know if Mr. Greenspan is still on the call, but I know that the question was asked with regards to safety and we are doing everything we can with regards to testing. We do have some results coming very soon so that the school committee can meet on a going back to school date, at least for a hybrid plan. And the motion was for no later than October 16th. So we're hoping to address that next Wednesday once we have it, most of the testing back. So I just wanna make sure we're being open and telling the residents as much as we can as it relates to testing, expected testing dates. And I, as one, a member of the school committee feel that if our schools are testing well, we need to get our students back. And I know the committee um, agrees with that. Yes, and I, I just wanna echo and say first, thank you to all of those who expressed their concerns and participated today in giving us feedback. Um, we thank you for your feedback. Uh, as you know, we are still in ongoing negotiations, but one of the areas that we are seriously looking at is HVAC and we are expecting reports due back to us next week. Sometime between the 14th and the 17th, we will continue to receive reports on all of our outside um, buildings addressing air quality and HVAC systems. So um, while this meeting is ongoing, I know we have another meeting scheduled for next Wednesday. And I just want to double check and confirm if it's gonna be the 16th or the 17th, because we may want to consider meeting on the 17th to ensure that we have the data for all of the outside schools. But when we meet next week, we will be armed with official data explaining to us the HVAC systems or the state of HVAC systems of all of our buildings and once we have that official data, that will really position us to really look at um, setting a concrete date for um, our return for students to begin a staggered hybrid um, re-entry for our students. So my expectation is that prior to October 16th, we will definitely have students um, starting to come back to school for in-person instruction but what has delayed a uh, decisive response is we're waiting for the data. And so um, the testing and assessments are ongoing. 
They're happening this week and into the beginning of next week. We were in line waiting. Um, almost every single school district and is, a, is in a very similar position. And um, we got in line as quickly as we could. And our testing again is expected to be completed by next week. As soon as we get those results, we will be sharing those results with everyone. So you'll be informed and have the same information that we have. But at this point in time, we don't have information on all of our buildings. But um, we do look forward to communicating that and giving you information um, so that you can see um, what it is that we've been faced with and what we're trying to ensure for the entire community, that the buildings are safe, that our HVAC systems are up and running properly, and that we're able to um, have a safe learning environment for students to come into and for teachers to be able to come in to teach. So um, that's what I would say for right now. Thank you, Dr. Edward Vincent. I know we have more 10 reports too that re some relate to this. So member McLaughlin, then member Vandekloot. Thank you, um, Mayor. I also wanted to thank folks who uh, spoke tonight. I think it's really important to encourage public participation um, for folks. And I want them to know that you can reach out uh, to the superintendent or the mayor to ask to be put on public presentation or participation if you'd like to, as Ms. Sheehan did tonight. Um, I wanted to assure Ms. Sheehan, although I'm sure it doesn't feel like it, um, as was mentioned, um, we, I certainly feel that we are prioritizing children. I am certainly feeling as though I'm prioritizing children. I, as I'm sure many parents out there and others out there have lost a lot of sleep over what we've all been experiencing um, over the summer and as we're thinking about our children com coming back to school. Um, the 63% of families who have elected for hybrid, uh, we want our children back in school. I want my children back in school. Um, our staff and our uh, administration is working on it. Yes, there are continued uh, negotiations with teachers. I would also like to say, you know, I don't want teachers to be demonized here. I think I want, I want people to remember that they are also family members. They also have children. They're also in uh, a similar situation as the rest of us. And I think that we all do very much care about our children more than anything um, and about getting them back into school and about getting them educated. I know I've certainly seen regression uh, in our household with education and uh, it's been a lot of a strain on our family in terms of providing um, in-home education and we're still unclear about what's happening with our children for next week as well. So um, we are all in the same boat and I think that compassion is really important and I appreciate um, people reaching out and speaking us and t up and telling us when we need to do better and uh, work harder. And I can say with all the conviction in my heart that I've been working very, very hard um, this summer. And I know my colleagues have as well. Uh, and since last March, this is a difficult time for everybody. And um, we are working hard for our children. And I think that is what keeps us up at night. But please continue uh, to present and let us know and talk to us and call us and email us as you all have been doing, um, because we do listen, we do talk, we spend time on the phone with you all. And um, we are here for public service and we appreciate you speaking tonight. So thank you, Ms. Sheehan, Mr. Began, uh, Mr. Um, I'm sorry, uh, uh, and Carboni. Carboni, yes, thank you all. Thank you. Um, Member Vandekloot. Um, I think that I, I probably want to just start by saying that 
being an elected official right now, being on the school committee, there is, it's no, there's, there's no positive place here. It's a, you know, everybody can second guess what you're doing and think they can do better. That's the bottom line. And it's not just me. It's all over. It's not just Medford. It's all, um, it's all over. We are doing our best in order to get your kids back to school. We need to work with our teachers. Please remember it was only just a few short months ago when we were all singing the praises of our teachers every day, the number of incredible outpourings of gratitude as so many people realized what our teachers do. I understand it's frustrating. I understand we want our kids back. I understand that there's a limit, but I'm trying as part of the negotiation team to get our kids back to school. And that means to having constructive conversations with teachers that make us um, move us to that uh, area. My colleague used the word demonize, and that's the one thing I'm thinking here, that if I'm listening to those speakers expressing their frustration, that I also would feel pretty bad if I was a teacher. So I think it's important. We're in this together. I know you can be as angry and as upset with me as you possibly want to be. That's fine. But I am working as my colleagues are. It's very, very hard to second guess this. We are not alone. It is a much bigger issue. And we're appreciative to all the work that we, um, our teachers are negotiating and trying to figure this out and trying to get back. We want our children back to school. I want our children back to school. Thank you, Member Van de Kloot. Um, we have report of the superintendent, superintendent's updates and comments. Mayor. Oh, Member Graham. So um, I wanna reiterate and echo um, what my colleagues have said. I do think that um, in a situation as complex as this, it often looks like there are sides and it looks like there's um, prioritization of one person's problems over another. Um, and on the, on the backside of this conversation and in uh, the intimate knowledge that I have about all the work going into making sure that not only can we start school, but that we can stay in school. Um, I can tell you that I think we're much more on the same team than it feels like it is right now. And I know that doesn't feel like much of a consolation. Um, but I am committed to getting kids back to school. I think we are all committed to getting kids back to school. Um, the thing that is driving me personally is that I want to do it in a way that we can all learn our new routines and we can do that safely so that we don't go back to school just to have to come home from school. And um, my sister-in-law is a teacher in another state and shared with me that her district um, they went back to school, they lasted for two days, and now they are home remotely. And that is, to me, much worse than taking the time, doing the due diligence, setting us up for success. Um, that is much, much worse. Um, I don't want to see that happen here in Medford. I want us to um, be pragmatic about the things that are needed um, so that we don't have to have that same problem happen here. Um, I am continuing to... Um, press that we do a better job of communicating what our requirements are and what those metrics look like. And 
I am as impatient as you all are that those things aren't readily available and at the ready. But for me, I don't want us to be thinking about rehashing those decisions each and every time we meet. So um, we are working to, to try to um, be thoughtful and comprehensive about all of those components so that we can, um, in fact, move through these phases of reopening um, swiftly and safely. So um, the last thing that I will say is that um, I would like to make a motion that all union contracts are placed um, on our website. They are a matter of public record. Um, I, I want people to know how incredibly complicated <laughs> union contracts can be. Some of them look simple. Some of them um, are very complex because they sort of build on each other and it is a probably a harder task than it looks to simply put a contract out there. Um, so I would ask that that be done by the end of this calendar year, because right now our priority has to be getting kids safely and pragmatically back to school. There's a motion on the floor. Is there a second? I seconded, Mayor. Seconded by member McLaughlin, roll call. I'm sorry, could you please repeat the motion? Sure. Um, place all union contracts on our website by 12-31-2020. On that motion? Um, I could, if, if you don't mind, just an amendment. Um, I know that some of the speakers had specific questions about specific contracts, so I don't want to make sure they're available to anybody who wants to read them. So I don't know. Uh, Madam Superintendent, are we allowing people to get access to public records or you want, do they have to do a public records request? You're asking for a public records request for the um, union contracts? No, I'm asking if, if some, does somebody, if somebody wants to read them, do they, are they giving, given to the public or is that through a public records request? Just so residents, yeah. Mr. Murphy. Yeah, I, we, we can certainly provide, um, copies of the CBAs as requested. And I appreciate um, the time to put it up on the website, uh, Ms. Graham. There are, um, what, what I found in my brief time here, there are contracts who are uh, antiquated compilations of the contracts and then have MOAs stacked on top of them through the years. Um, so there'll be, there will be some time required to incorporate various MOAs over the years so that they are more readable um, for uh, members of the community, but um, there are other CBAs that are um, will be much easier to produce, frankly. And as we get requests from that, we'll we'll certainly um, respond as quickly as we can. Mayor, Member Russo, um, this has actually been a request that's been asked at least twice in my mm -hmm. two and a half years, um, and passed both times. So um, I, I I don't want to dis, uh, discount the effort involved, but this will be the third time the school committee in my short tenure has said, put it on the website, said yes unanimously, and it's still not on the website. So I'm not really sure how to make Mr. it Murphy. Turn, but it needs to happen. I, yeah, Mr. Murphy's new. I'm sure he'll get it done in a matter of a couple few months. I think we could, yeah, we'll, we'll do our best to beat that timeline, but if there are specific requests about specific CBAs that may uh, as I said, be more um, in a position to, to produce in a readable format, we can we can certainly do that as quickly as possible. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you.
Motion for approval by Member Graham, seconded by Member McLaughlin. Roll call. Jenny Graham? Yes. Kathy Kretz? Yes. Melanie McLaughlin? Yes. Mia Mastone? Yes. Paul Rousseau? Yes. Paulette Vanderclute? Yes. Mayor Lungo Kern? Yes. Seven the affirmative, zero in the negative. Paper passes. Report of the superintendent, number one, superintendent's updates and comments. Okay. Good evening, Mustang Nation. We're one week away from the Medford Public Schools remote learning opening for grades one through 12. Kindergarten will begin on Monday, September 21st. We have worked diligently with the teachers, paras, staff, unions, and administrators to provide the best education possible during this time. It is my hope that come early October, we will be able to begin to welcome students gradually back into the buildings for in-person learning. For that, that is truly our goal and the best situation for all students to be able to learn successfully. Meet and greets, although brief due to COVID regulations, will provide students with the opportunity to meet their teachers, access schedules, textbooks, and Chromebooks, and see their classmates at a distance. The meet and greets will be held next Monday, September 14th, and next Tuesday, September 15th. Please consult with your building principal for time and particulars if you have not already received them. I would like to take this time to congratulate Ms. Marie Cassidy and the Medford Family Network on their selection for a grant from the Cambridge Community Foundation in the amount of $10,000. The Medford Family Network is looked upon as a leader in the regional effort to address the current COVID-19 pandemic. They provide support for basic needs um, for parental and caregiver services to our Medford families. The grant was made possible by the Massachusetts COVID-19 Relief Fund. Due to this grant, the Medford Family Network will be able to assist families with food, clothing, diapers, toiletries, and other services that may be needed. As the mayor noted last week, we are hopeful that all Medford families will complete the 2020 census. Information provided on the census is completely confidential and is used to make sure what we is, is used to make sure that we, the city of Medford, receive appropriate funding for all of our programming and other critical resources. The deadline is at the end of September. Nurse Tony Ray and the Medford School Nurses have released two important reminders, which are available on our website and blog. The importance of wearing a face mask, as well as the new state mandate about flu shots. All students are being encouraged to have their flu shot by December of this school year. Lastly, I am sure that we remember not too long ago that this Friday is Friday, September 11th. And on Friday, September 11th, 2001, that uh, that day, 
19 years later, this coming Friday will be the anniversary, the 19th anniversary of September 11th. So I want to just say that um, I am a graduate of Boston College and Wells Crowther is a BC grad. He saved a number of people on that terrible day. Unfortunately, Wells did not survive. The only thing that was ever found was his red bandana. During the dedication of the National 9-11 Memorial, President Ob Obama said of Crowther, they didn't know his name, they didn't know where he came from, but they knew their lives had been saved by the man in the red bandana. He led those survivors down the stairs to safety and carried a woman on his shoulders down 17 flights. Then he went back up, back up all those flights until that moment when the tower fell. Despite their terrible loss, Wells's parents wanted to give back. They established the Red Bandana Project, which provides curriculum for character building and social emotional learning for young people. That was a terrible time in our history. So today we are in another awful crisis in our country, this pandemic. However, after the attacks of 9-11, Americans came together regardless of their skin, color, religion, creed, or sexual orientation. They came together with a unity of purpose and a shared belief of citizens giving back and sacrificing in the name of liberty. I truly hope we can once again come together and work for equality, tolerance, safety, and fairness for all. And for all those that were lost on 9-11, I ask that we remember and take a moment of silence for them on Friday in their memory. And I wanna say thank you. And for all of the victims that passed on that day, may they all rest in peace. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Edward Vincent. Next, we have number two, COVID-19 update report, Ms. Tony Ray and Ms. Marion O'Connor. Dr. Cushing, I, I see Mary, Ms. Ray, look at her. Good, good evening. Um, Mary Ann was going to start off the presentation. Yep, I um, just unmuted her. Thank you. Hi, Al. Sorry, I've been relegated to the garage because it's clearing upstairs. Um, so hopefully you can do this. Um, so <clears throat> this uh, data just came out this evening, um, the map that we all look at. Um, we are still yellow. Um, we are up to 5.4, which is an increase from last week. Um, I was in a presentation yesterday uh, from DPH, and they did give out some really helpful information about understanding this map and where we're at. And I'm sorry if you folks already uh, uh, are aware of this, but it was really um, helpful to me because we've had some back and forth with DPH, as local boards of health have. Um, about how, this, how these numbers are coming to be. Um, a lot of issues were around what they were calling the event date. Um, so if you've had several uh, 
COVID tests and you've been negative and then all of a sudden you turn positive, the event date they would attach you to would be back to the first negative. So that positive wouldn't show up uh, on this week's data. This, this week they have changed that so that the first positive is what's gonna now be counted in the map. So that may um, in fact explain or account for why our numbers are uh, higher this week uh, than we expected. Um, but we are still in the yellow. Um, so as you know, the, the, the map is a 14-day um, incident rate, but it's a rolling rate. So it's, you know, the cases on day one divided by the population plus the cases on day two plus the cases on day three, all the way up to the cases on day 14. Um, and then they times it by the 100,000 for the population rate. So, um, and they do do this on a like a Sunday to Saturday basis. So this data is actually ending last Saturday. Um, and I think that's important to, to realize as we start to talk about, you know, what are the metrics and, and what do we look at? Um, I think another metric that we really need to start focusing on is the percent positivity rate. Um, and we have been posting that on our website. Again, all the data we get from DPH, they go by what they call the CDC weeks. So that's why there's always a lag. Um, that's why it's like last Saturday's data. Um, but we wanna look at trends, right? We don't wanna just go week to week to week. Um, we wanna look at trends over several weeks. So besides being yellow or green or red, we wanna look at our positivity rate. We wanna look at, are the cases increasing? Or are they decreasing? And I, you know, I propose that we do this over several weeks, not just a one week at a time um, snapshot that we wanna see that we're decreasing over two weeks. Our positivity rate is decreasing or staying steady. Um, and, and, and again, our rates, as far as the map is concerned, also are you know, over, over a couple of weeks before we make some hard decisions. Um, you know, I, I, I think the positivity rate is a great tool. Um, the 5% positivity is somewhere we don't wanna go uh, because, and we haven't been, uh, I think the closest we were there a couple of weeks ago, we've been maybe two, two point something percent uh, back, 2.69% actually back that last week in July. Um, we want to stay, I, I, I would like to stay under the 3% range uh, as a metric. 5%, uh, you're looking at really a moderate communal spread, which, um, which especially in settings like school, could mean that there's, a, there's an increased possibility of a spread. So if we're looking, and again, I'd love to sit down with uh, whoever wants to, to go through this. And I am working with the Mass DPH epidemiologist uh, who's been very helpful. And I think we can, we can rely on getting some good insight from them if people wanna try to look at these metrics and see what we really wanna put forth. Um, but again, I would look at trends, I would look at positivity rates, in addition to the yellow and green map, because it has been very um, confusing with DPH, because sometimes the case numbers change as well um, due to them getting rid of deduplications. Um, we may get a case one day, like we've gotten cases that say uh, the courtyard nursing home address, for example, but it's, it's an employee who puts down the courtyard. So by the time we do the case investigation, we find out they don't actually live in Medford, they live in Winchester or Malden or somewhere else. 
So then we have to transfer that case to that community and that comes off our, our data. So it does get a little bit confusing, which is why I think other metrics, and I think someone has mentioned that, um, is really important and um, be happy to really try to come up with something that, that we all feel comfortable with and that we're, we're feeling good about. So that's my update if anyone has questions. Thank you, Ms. O'Connor. We appreciate you being here, taking the time. Does anybody have any questions from the committee? Ms. Ms. Ray? No, I don't have any questions. I um, Thank you, Mayor. Um, but I would just wanted to give a uh, follow-up on some of the activities that the school nurses have been doing in the, the buildings. Um, as, doc, uh, as Dr. Edward Vincent stated, we have been um, posting a lot of uh, relevant health information about the importance of wearing masks um, with resources on where uh, families can buy reasonably priced masks, um, as well as information about the new flu influenza mandates that um, have been imposed by the Department of Public Health. Um, COVID training is being implemented for all staff in the schools, and um, that's done via online presentations. Um, and follow-up support for staff will be available um, by the school nurses um, once um, staff are in, uh, have entered the buildings for in-person learning. And lastly, um, PPE supplies are being readied for distribution, and um, we will start getting those out um, this week, to, um, building by building, so that um, that will also be available for, for staff to be picking up their um, assigned PPE. One, one thing I'd like to add about the flu shot um, order by December 31st, we are trying to work with um, DPH to acquire additional uh, flu shots. Uh, we are having our first clinic at the senior center. Um, we had planned that before the order came out um, next week. And one of the thoughts is that we'd like to try to do some family clinics. Um, maybe uh, if we can set up a drive-through model, which would help us drill and plan for when a vaccine is actually available as well. So that's a great thing. Um, but we are going to try to acquire additional flu shots from the state. And um, certainly we'll work with Tony if necessary. We can try to set up uh, school clinics if the family clinics don't meet the demand. So um, just wanted to put that out there for folks. And I want to point out one concern was with regards to testing and I want to thank um, Ms. O'Connor for helping um, get staff testing set up for all school staff come when we enter back into school um, and, and prior to so I want to thank the Board of Health for that and I know Tufts University is stepping up, up for Medford as well so I want to point that out, out. if there's no further questions we can move on to number three, which is also Ms. Tony Ray, a recommendation to approve. Yes, um, Member Russo. Um, I, I do, I have lots of questions actually. Um, and I don't know that I think it, this is the time. I think we should have a meeting to discuss a robust, robust set of public metrics that anybody could sit down and determine whether we should be open or not without having to ask Marianne come and talk or have a school committee meeting. Like it should just be on a web page. Here's the math. You do the math. 
and you can tell me whether we should be open or not. Not, and it's not hard. Um, now I know the, the the one complex thing is, you know, the state's numbers are Saturday, Sunday to Saturday. Although they post them on Wednesdays, and Tufts are every single day. So who knows what we should take from that? Um, but regardless of those inputs. It's an algorithm. It has to be an algorithm. If it's not an algorithm and it's Marianne or Tony's opinion, then I, I'm done. I'm not interested anymore. It cannot be an opinion. Um, and um, I, I feel like, and, and through no fault necessarily of anybody on this call, because the state seems to be kind of squishing around in opinions still, um, but we have to get by opinion here. It, so, this, this can I be straightforward? Everybody's struggling with this, and we've been on multiple calls with um, with DPH asking for a standardized metric for communities beyond just the map um, that would include a positivity rate, that would include increasing trends. How many weeks? What are we looking at? And um, Desi's answer has, quite frankly, been the governor's data is the map. This is what we're using is the map. They have been very hesitant, which is why I think you see different communities trying to struggle with creating their own metrics. And this is certainly not opinion. I'm using data. Um, but uh, I think we need to come up with a, a set of data that everyone can agree upon. Um, and, 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 and like you said, and, and put it out there and maybe put it out in a graphic form, maybe get a nice graphic designer so that's easy for everyone to understand what we're talking about. Um, but uh, it's not opinion, it's data, and Desi has, has not been helpful, I, I don't mean to say that, but it's true, um, because they have stuck by, this is what the governor said, it's the, the gray, green, red, yellow, yellow, red, so, um, and, and I don't think that's sufficient for us to make determinations on myself. So, so then I guess my question is, um, since I don't know this, um, do we evaluate the data daily? Typically, you want to look at trends. So, yeah, you know, just the number of cases isn't really an indicator, but yeah, trends over a couple of weeks, two, three weeks. So, you know, are we on an increasing rate? Are we on a decreasing rate? What's the positivity rate? The positivity rate, I think, is really valuable. Um, and we can look at what other communities have done as well, but I think they're all kind of similar to, to what we're leaning towards at this point. Um, but I'd be happy to sit down and try to, yeah. to really create great metrics for this community. Thank you. I have been looking at other communities' metrics because the school committee association we share with each other in a listserv, um, and you know it, it's very fascinating because some things that I thought were simple, like how many positive cases do you have in a day, at first seems like an easy thing, but it turns out they could just be a bunch of people living in one household, um, and they could have no kids in the schools, um, or it could be a kid who happens to have five siblings that are in all you know, in three other schools. So, I mean, there isn't a, you know, it isn't really simple, but it seems like it can actually be written down, like, here's the steps, here's the answer based on school committee's decisions. We will open this school or not open this school. We will close this school or not close this school. And the frequency with which that happens, I mean, to me, trends are fine and important. And aside from the question of, if tomorrow, if the schools were all open and hybrid, and then tomorrow morning you received a note from DPH 
that said there are four new positive cases at the Brooks. Well, we're not waiting for trends, right? We're not going to wait for trends. We're going to pull the plug immediately, I'm assuming. But again, like I don't see that written out to say that. And um, that that's where I think um, there's way too much ambiguity here that it's, I don't know that these questions haven't been answered. They're just not put in one place and they're not connected because they have to be connected. I agree. And and you're 100% right. But again, you're 100% right saying like every case is different, right? So there's going to be, like you said, we have tough students now. We get a big blip in 10 tough students, you know, adding to our caseload. They're still in the Medford community, so they should still be considered. But you know, what does that have to do with our actual communal spread and what's happening within our school? So um, if you get four cases in one school, absolutely, we're going to like pull back, take a look at that, if, especially if it's spreading beyond different cohorts, right? If it's all within one cohort, that's a different story. So there's different ways. But like you said, we can lay this all out. We should. We should. And um, but at, like <laughs> what we've learned is that every case, you know, is different. The contacts are different. You know, does it matter if you have four contacts in the same classroom with someone else? So, so these are these are things that we certainly can talk about. Um, I, I would also like to add that um, these DESE protocols have been published on the DESE website since July. The district has adopted the DESE protocols verbatim um, as to how we move through. Um, dealing with different scenarios, whether we have a positive um, case, um, somebody with positive symptoms that and COVID is expect is suspected, versus if they've been a close contact, versus if they get sick at school, at home, or on the bus. Um, we are we have adopted their protocols verbatim. Um, also, um, the in terms of decisions to close schools, you know, DESE has left that collaboration to the district and their local board of health, but final approval for closing um, either fully or partially um, a school rests with collaboration and approval by DESE. So um, it just points to a, a very broad conversation um, that we will have um, with the board of health and then um, secondly, with the Department of, of Elementary and Secondary Education. Point of information. You have the floor, member Rousseau. Oh, thank you, sorry. So you're saying the school committee does not have authority to close the school? Desi wants final approval. So then why? Those okay, then Desi should be the one providing us all we need to be able to answer these questions, and we shouldn't be spending hours discussing it. I, I don't. So they're going to have final approval, and it's going to be like whoever you call happens to be in the mood for closing when you happen to pick up the phone on the other end. I, it makes no sense and provides zero confidence in public health mechanisms. I got to tell you, the confidence level is appropriately low. But we would be making the recommendation to Desi. What we are seeing, what we feel is happening within our community, whether or not we would provide them with our data, our statistics, and our reasoning for why we want to do what we want to do. I, I find it hard to believe that Desi um, would ignore or, or not approve 
what the locals are, are saying. And of course, the school committee would be involved as well, as far as information is concerned. Member Graham. Um, so I think um, we need to stop pretending that Jesse's gonna save us because they're not. Um, their guidance has been out there for months and they have left predictably all the hard questions unanswered. Um, that doesn't mean they, they are unanswerable questions. And I, it's long, I, I think it's well past time that we sit down and answer those questions. So Marianne, I would love to work with you. I provided a, an example of what I think is something digestible last week. And I think there is an, in fact, a finite list of questions and um, places where collecting the right input from our own experts and then making policy decisions gets us to this answer that is crystal clear and clean. Um, but respectfully, to say that we have identified all of this already, I, I have to take issue with that. Um, I've read our documents extensively multiple times and I left each time thinking I have more questions than I have answers. So maybe there are answers in sort of people's heads and when you're an expert in this stuff, it feels like you've answered questions that perhaps you haven't answered to the satisfaction of somebody who doesn't sort of live and breathe the, the particular um, space that you play in every single day. But the community needs to know how we're gonna make these decisions because it can't just be like our willy nilly opinion. Um, we, need to, we need to be clear and consistent about how we're gonna decide these things. And I think the scenarios are finite and we should, we should answer them and then we should publish a dashboard that says this is how we're going to answer this question and this is how often we're going to do it and this is how it drives us into um, progressive levels of hybrid and this is how it closes schools and this is how it drives us past hybrid um, to something else if we are if we are able to get there so I think the same set of data with the right set of questions can answer all of that for us um, we just need to put the right people in the room to, to kind of step through that and do that work. But I think, you know, I keep seeing people hopping onto this call and I think this is, this is people want this from us and we need to provide it. Um, I'm happy to be part of the solution. Um, I'm happy to simply approve a well thought out plan that comes before us, but we have to do this and we can't delay anymore. Thank you. Um, Mr. Began. If I could just make sure everybody's two minutes. Yes, go ahead. Okay, thank you. Uh, yes, what Mr. Rousseau and Ms. Graham are saying is exactly what I'm talking about and what I said when I spoke earlier. You need metrics. You need to make a decision as a group as to what is acceptable because you are the elected officials who have that authority. It is not fair to put that responsibility on Mary Ann or any other employee. You cannot let her make this decision. She is just one set of opinions as, that will guide you in making this decision. Common sense will guide you. Your lived experience will guide you. What is happening in the community will guide you. But we can't wait for Mary Ann to give you the green light to do something. 
or Tony or anyone else who happens to be in the health field or for the Department of Health. Those are employees. You are the elected officials. I love what I'm hearing right now. Go with that. Mr. Rousseau, you are dead on correct. All you need to do is get together and say, we are comfortable with X. If X happens, school opens. Everything else is semantics. Please continue, do what you're doing. Continue and follow through on what you just said. Thank you. Thank you. If there's no further questions, we'll go into number three, recommendation to approve Alpha Med application. Ms. Tony Ray. Good evening again. Um, so COVID Care is a, is a mobile app that was developed by Alpha Med Software, and it offers um, students and staff an added measure to promote their health and safety in our school environment. It's available in several different languages and available free of charge to all families and staff. The app helps users determine whether or not it's safe for a student or staff member to attend school, and it's based upon key COVID um, screening questions. The platform will generate a daily alert or report, and we'll send that to um, myself and the school nurses um, using a student's um, lunch number, which is known as the LACID number, as the identifier. This gives the school nurses opportunity to follow up with individual families if indicated. So when, when the, the app was presented at school committee meeting um, two weeks ago, um, there were several questions that um, were were asked. The first is, is the platform confidential? And the answer to that is yes, it is HIPAA compliant and secure through an Amazon server encryption. Data is not saved on the app or in any other database. Once the alert report is generated, AlphaMed software deletes the information. And any reports to the Medford School Nurses will be deleted upon follow-up with um, the families. Second, is it mandatory for students and staff to submit the screening daily? And while the district is not mandating completion of the screening app daily, we are asking all members of the Medford Public School community to use it faithfully and truthfully. Safety of our school community as we reopen to in-person learning depends upon everyone's participation. Again, as an added measure to promote health and safety and give families um, and staff indication for whether it's safe to attend school or not. Third, what is the opt-out procedure? If you do not wish to, wish to participate or if you have additional questions about the screening app, please send an email to me, tray at medford.k12.ma.us. And lastly, are there instructions for parents and staff to register with AlphaMed? And instructions for registering on the app will be provided to the school community by the end of the week, um, if that is helpful for people in making their, their decisions. If anyone has any questions, I can, I can answer those now. Thank you, Ms. Ray. M Member Russo. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm very happy about the app. Um, I, I'm, I, you know, I'm a software developer, so I'm always looking for what are the holes. 
um, what's going to break, what's what are the uh, edge cases, um, and I just um, um, I guess anything that's optional for me is already not. Uh, I question the, the validity of doing it at all. It's not a free amount of work um, for you, your staff, and for everybody who would have to input the information. Um, and just like with vaccinations, which we have a problem with, Medford's better than many communities, but let's be honest, we still have a problem with that too. Um, as long as there's holes you can try to cut through, I just, I have to ask if we want to layer one more thing on top. So um, I, I'm all for this. I'm also all for making it mandatory and waiting for the lawyers to show up to say why we shouldn't make it mandatory, rather than starting off with not making it mandatory and crossing our fingers. Thank you, Member Russo. Member Graham? Um, I, I think making things mandatory is a matter of policy, which is really a decision that this committee needs to make. So I think it's premature to say what the district is or isn't going to mandate. Um, I would ask that we table that discussion until next week. Um, and I would ask that people not start sending emails to Tony because I do not believe that emails to one person is a sustainable way to handle an opt-out process if we are going to have one. Um, so I think um, what I'd like to do is make a motion that next week um, the administration um, or when at our next meeting, um, the administration bring us an operational um, plan and a policy recommendation so that we can make the policy recommendation with full knowledge that the operational plan can um, achieve the policy. Motion on the floor by member Graham, seconded by member Rousseau, um, roll call. Can we, can we have a restatement of the motion, sorry? Sure, so uh, I made a motion that um, next week, the administration will bring an operational plan and a policy recommendation to this committee and that until that time, um, we do not start encouraging people to email Tony Ray to opt out of a process that has not yet been established. Yep. Thank you. On that motion, uh, Jenny Graham? Yes. Kathy Kretz? Sorry. Yes. Melanie McLaughlin? Yes. Mia Mastone? Yes. Paul Rousseau? Yes. Paulette Vanderkloot, yes. Mayor Lungo Kern? Yes, seven in the affirmative, zero in the negative. Paper passes. We have another four report on Craig. Mayor, I'm sorry. Could, could we just have some clarity on, on that, on what the directive there is in that motion before we move on? Oh, sure. So to, to establish um, a policy, and of course you have negotiations this week and make a recommendation to the committee? Sure. And next week. I, I think my only reservation is if we are, if, if that motion were to prevent us from beginning the process of uh, signing people up for the app, if the school committee um, wants to make a policy decision at a later date as to whether to make this the, the participation mandatory, I think you can do that even if we start to build the subscription base to this application, which I, I would recommend because um, wherever the committee ends up landing as to whether this is compulsory or voluntary, it's going to be 
like the, the key is going to be having as robust participation as possible. So my recommendation is, would be that we begin to advertise, begin to promote. If people like at, in response to the advertising of this service say that they don't want to participate, the committee can then still mandate it and we can do whatever we have to in, in whatever we're capable of doing to then try to get everyone on board to get us up to 100%. But I think time is sort of the key variable in trying to get as many people on the app as possible. And so if there's no objection from the committee, while we will come back with additional information in an operational plan, I'd like uh, Tony and her team to begin the process of working with principals to get people on the app as soon as possible. Yeah. I don't personally have any objection to that. That wasn't the intent of my motion. Um, I hugely object to people emailing Tony as a way to opt out. So when I say operational plan, I would like us to have a real operational plan when it comes to opt out. Um, but I have no objection to getting people starting to, to sign on to the app personally. Yeah. And frankly, at this point, since it's an open question as to whether it's mandatory or voluntary, I think frankly, the way we'll be communicating is encouraging people, making sure they know this is available and we will frame it as if they have any questions then they can contact whatever uh, line of communication we're going to establish to make sure that um, those questions are, are being answered. And if they are, if the questions are objections to that, we will certainly hear that out. Um, but I, I think that the important point now is for us to just move forward with getting as many people on the app as possible. And the question of whether they absolutely must do so can be made by the committee at a later date. Thank you, Mr. Thank Murphy. Mayor. Member Rousseau. Thank you. Um, I, I also don't have any objection. I just would add that, um, if, and uh, Mr. Murphy did just start to hit on that or get to that, but how this is communicated out is important, uh, very important. Uh, so I just ask that there's a consistent communication that's designed and is not kind of uh, showing our hand that we may make it mandatory or not at some point. Um, uh, you know, one of my biggest concerns here is, you know, we're all assuming that this will be of value. If we made it mandatory or not mandatory and 30% of the population signed up for it, I mean, I think we can all agree that would be of no value whatsoever. So it's only a value when you reach an incredibly high threshold of utilization. So um, I think there's a bit of a faith-based uh, approach to this that truly vast numbers of people would have signed up. Um, I, I think it's fine to give it a roll now and see what happens, but um, yeah, I, I just want to make sure the communication is clear and does not include any kind of emailing Tony or any kind of conversation around, we may or may not make this required or you can opt out um, since we haven't made that decision. That's yeah. yeah, we can do that. And I, I think it's just, I'll just use this opportunity, Mayor, if I could just say very briefly that um, the utilization of this app uh, is definitely contingent, or the, the, the effectiveness of it is completely contingent on the level of participation. There's no question about that. Even if we were to succeed in getting 100% of the people signed up for the application, it is obviously still not 100% sort of, you know, uh, COVID proof. Like it still requires everyone, uh, human beings remembering and utilizing it uh, every single day. So we should be clear, I think, with the expectation as to what its overall value is. It is an additional and important resource that we will use to collect the data uh, necessary to keep school communities as safe as possible. And that's what it will be used for. 
Thank you. Mayor? Yes, Member, yes, member Graham. Um, I just wanted to thank Dave for that because he's absolutely right. So the 65 to 70% of families who want to see their kids in school, um, we're all on the same team here and part of being on the same team is us all um, caring for each other. And I think this is a great way to help us do that seamlessly as we go forward. So I'm, I'm excited about this. I wanna see um, this be a really effective tool that we can use um, that keeps our entire community safe and keeps our kids in school. Um, albeit maybe gradually slower start than some of us would like, but um, for the long haul. Thank you. Thank you. Number four, report on Craig Drowski, interim principal of Curtis Tufts. Dr. Edward Vincent. Mute. Yes, I'm really excited to be able to have this opportunity to uh, introduce and welcome, warmly welcome, Mr. Craig Drowski to the administrative fold. So it's with great pleasure that I welcome Mr. Craig Drowski as the interim principal for the Curtis Tufts High School. During the past 12 years as an educator in Medford, Mr. Drowski has served in various positions. He started his career as a paraprofessional at the Curtis Tufts High School and then transferred to Medford High School as a special education history teacher, where he has taught for the past 10 years. Additionally, he has served in a leadership role at the Summer Fun Camp Program and has coached multiple sports, both within the Medford Public Schools and for the Melrose Public School System. As a high school special education teacher, Mr. Drowski has taught history in both small group spe special education classes, as well as in co-taught classes. His goal has always been to aid in a student's transition to post-secondary life through the teaching of appropriate skills. Mr. Drowski has a strong track record of advocating for the students to be successful in their future endeavors. Mr. Drowski earned his Bachelor of Arts in History and German from Bowdoin College, his Master of Education in Moderate Disabilities, grades five to 12 from American International College and his Certificate of Advanced Graduate Studies in Advanced Educational Leadership from the University of New England. We warmly welcome him as an administrator and we look forward to our continued partnership for the advancement of all students, especially our most vulnerable learners. So I welcome warmly Mr. Craig Drowski, and I thank you for being part of the administrative team. And I do applaud you. He is online. I don't know if um, he had words that he wanted to say, but um, welcome aboard, Mr. Drowski. Mr. Drowski, I, know I saw you there. Do you want to say a few words? Say hello. I just welcome. want to say thank you for the opportunity, and I'm very excited to take on this new task. Great, thank you. Thank you. Um, number five, updated report on budget 20. Oh, Member McLaughlin. Thank you. Mr. Drowski, I just wanted to say congratulations and thank you and welcome aboard. And you know, we're gonna miss Lisa Kingsley, but we're really happy to see you in this role. And um, you were so great at summer fun camp, including 
um, every child and my daughter in particular, and we really value you and um, your commitment to inclusion and your commitment to uh, equity and diversity and to students of all abilities. So I am really looking forward to working with you. Um, and I also want to uh, make sure from the superintendent's perspective that we have someone else in that co-taught uh, classroom for history because I know you'll be very missed by those students uh, at the high school. But welcome aboard, Mr. Drowski, and um, we're really happy to have you. Thank you. Thank you, Member McLaughlin. Number five, update a report on budget 2020-2021, Attorney David Murphy and Andrew Paquette. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, Mr. Paquette and I will be reporting tonight on the status of the FY21 budget. Uh, I wanted to just briefly uh, begin by uh, reminding the committee and the and members of the community who are watching of uh, Mr. Paquette's role, who served as the interim school bis business official between uh, Ms. Patterson's departure and my arrival. Uh, he and I have been working uh, collaboratively over the last several weeks. He's performing uh, two functions uh, right now uh, prior to the uh, uh, finalization of our appointment of a comptroller. Uh, he's both uh, working on our closeout of FY20 and uh, working with me uh, to, the, and the word we've been using is to reconstruct, I just want to be clear. Uh, Whatever it's set out based on. I'm trying. I'm looking. Just getting to the good part. Of the okay, hold on one second. Um, okay, I think we're good. So, as I was saying, um, and also working on the FY21 budget, we've been using the term reconstruct um, several questions. Um, Several questions. I'm not on mute, correct? Okay. You're good. Um, You're good. All right, great. Thank you. So there were several questions that my understanding is prior to my arrival about um, specific line items in the FY21 budget when it was adopted in June. And so part of the work that we've retained Mr. Parquet and his firm for uh, is to help to reconstruct that. And I'll talk a little bit about this um, at the end of tonight's report, but uh, what we're anticipating at this point is probably in the month of October, um, in addition to presenting the findings of Mr. Puckett's second uh, role, which is to complete an operational audit uh, of the district's finances, which was directed by the school committee in June, um, we will also uh, be presenting a recon reconstructed uh, FY21 budget. That is not to suggest that it will be um, substantially different than what the school committee adopted in June or what the, uh, any expectations set by the community, uh, but there will be a, a finer level of detail, I suspect, and We'll also at that time be uh, working through the various funding sources that I, were identified subsequent to the budget's adoption at the end of June, and which is again something that I'll, I'll touch upon in tonight's uh, report and also was provided to you uh, in the memo uh, from the, myself and the superintendent earlier today. Uh, I just want to start very quickly. There were four questions related to the documents that we uh, provided in the vendor bills, uh, the Arctic engineering, $4,300 was, as I uh, suspected, routine maintenance, uh, specifically at the McGlynn and Andrews air handlers and um, uh, fans that were being uh, replaced. Uh, the Viking entry was uh, work done at the Laconte Hockey Arena, specifically painting the ice. And the Accelerate curriculum programming was for district-wide science supplies. 
and Cardian Energy, that was the 39,000 uh, expenditure that uh, the committee asked about. LED, L was LED lighting upgrades at the McLean, at the McGlynn School. Uh, so right now, the, and if we were to summarize the FY21 budget in one sentence, it would be that there are no um, unexpected uh, deficits or surpluses and uh, where we are, as you can see in the all funds report with regard to funding that's uh, thus far been encumbered uh, is on, uh, on schedule or where we would expect it to be at this point in the fiscal year. Um, there were five, there have been five significant um, injections of funding uh, subsequent to the budget's adoption in June of 2021. Three of those uh, funding sources are specifically COVID related uh, and uh, we will be, uh, you'll be receiving a, a technology update uh, later today. And there's also some documentation that um, spells out exactly what that funding was used for. Uh, generally speaking, I would say it was uh, technology uh, procured for purposes of mitigating the educational impact of uh, COVID-19 and um, remote learning. Uh, the other two funding sources um, have uh, been allocated by the Medford City Council over the course of the last two weeks. The first is the approximately $1.1 million. And I, I, would, I would just say that in this report and in your, the documentation that we provided, I'm, I am using approximations for numbers, but if for any reason anyone needs more specific uh, numbers, myself or Mr. Parkett, I'd be happy to retrieve those for you. Um, I want to say, and I know for some of you have heard reports like this before, this may be um, old information, but I think for, uh, for the community's benefit, it's always important to, um, to point out the, the separation of funding that we have between operating expenses that are generally reoccurring expenses, uh, largely uh, staffing based, and then capital expenditures, which are generally considered on a, a separate budget. The two funding sources that have been realized over the course of the past several weeks uh, relate to $1.1 million in the additional Chapter 70 funding um, that was appropriated uh, significantly later in the year than, than usual, and approximately $816,000 that was appropriated last night by the Medford City Council, which is uh, specifically for capital improvements and is repurposed funding uh, from uh, some funding that had been reserved for use at Medford High School and various capital projects that were underway here. So in the memo that we've uh, provided, uh, you can see how the administration has intended to prioritize uh, the use of these funds. I'm happy to walk through them now or answer any specific questions uh, that you might have. But I will say that in, in summary, uh, from the $1.1 million in additional Chapter 70 funding, which again, uh, is uh, we generally think of as for use for reoccurring expenses in every in this and every other school district, the, the lion's share of it is staffing related. Um, that funding is being prioritized for the use in recalling of uh, instructional support staff that were uh, eliminated as a result of the uh, projected deficit. Um, we have uh, set aside $3,000 for the diversity uh, planning materials that the school committee had identified uh, as a priority in the spring. Uh, there is uh, there are some additional staff members in the uh, in the health and PE uh, realm that I, there's, there should there's a slight asterisk with regard to those staffing positions. Those are two new instructional positions uh, that were prioritized, as I understand it, um, throughout the budget development process. Um, given where we are, having adopted the academic schedules and being where we are in the uh, really past the hiring cycle, the hiring season. 
um, in a, for a school system, um, we are uh, reserving the $130,000 that would be necessary to um, add those instructional positions, um, but we'll have to report back to the committee within the course of the next month as to whether or not um, that proves to be feasible. And frankly, there's a need to look at the applicant pool and look at where we are from in terms of the academic schedules to make sure that those positions can in fact be incorporated in to uh, add the value and benefit that are envisioned by, uh, by their, their place on this budgetary list. And there are um, a small number of central office support staff with regard to technology and financial controls, as I alluded to earlier. We project right now approximately $450,000 of funding that is available to work through the other priorities. Um, as you know, in this, uh, I know that the school committee uh, in June articulated um, in detail uh, a number of priorities and issues that they that you um, felt were important and were uh, going to need significant attention during this fiscal year. We'll be looking through that priority list and uh, collaborating with you in the coming weeks to determine um, how to uh, uh, best utilize those funds. In a separate column, and again, we try to keep the reoccurring expenses from the operating budget uh, separate from the capital expenditures in our mind. Uh, there are various reasons for that. I'm happy to, to go through. Um, the capital expenditures that were uh, that are being made possible by the city council's appropriation last night of approximately $816,000. Again, are spelled out in the memo, and as we discussed with uh, the city council last night, um, we're looking at approximately $560,000 of uh, currently identified costs with regard to potential mitigation strategies at uh, school facilities uh, that's largely concentrated at Medford High School, uh, and then the air quality and air exchange testing that is currently underway across the district uh, to um, uh, serve as additional preventative measures against virus transmission. I will say, as I say in every forum, in talking about this testing and the work that's being done in the facilities, the Medford Public Schools have no evidence to date to suggest that any of these uh, school facilities are unsafe. Um, some of them are, are buildings of uh, various ages and there are antiquated systems. And so we want to prioritize these and make sure that they are as safe as possible. Um, but I will say, uh, while I'm sitting in one of these facilities at the moment, um, that we have no evidence to say that any of them uh, are unsafe. And, and from that fund, uh, from that, that uh, appropriation is, we have about approximately $250,000, a little more than that, um, that uh, we are, or we, we know that we'll have, we have potentially more expense, expenses that are going to exceed that number. Uh, but that's the number that we're working with right now um, as we make determinations such as whether to do additional uh, air quality assessments at the elementary and middle schools. So that is um, the report in a nutshell, but I've, as there's obviously there's a lot of uh, there are a lot of there's a lot of information here and a lot of money um, that we are that are, is that issue here. So uh, both Mr. Paquette and myself are as well as the rest of the team are eager to answer your questions.